On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. Uh, just a little bit of an update from on the ground. There's a statement from the governor of Kharkiv today after today's uh, what now appears to have been something of a botched assault on his city. He says control over Kharkiv is completely ours. The city is being cleansed of the enemy. Dozens of Russian soldiers surrendered speak of complete exhaustion and demoralisation. It's a little bit of good news on the part of the Ukrainian authorities, but also it doesn't appear to be ending there. I told you in the last hour that there is now some prospect of Belarus becoming a little bit more involved. There appear to be more and more reports that Belarus is uh, preparing its special operations for an airstrike on Kiev which is, of course is more uh, particularly pressing because Belarus is so much closer to Kiev than uh, any kind of Russian held territory is so the idea of Belarus becoming something of a participant uh, in this war is an altogether more uh, grave development um, also just in the last couple of minutes Italy has decided to close its airspace to any Russian aircraft uh, joins a string of other European countries including Finland and this morning as we were hearing Ireland uh, doing the same one of the areas it would seem that the European member states are going it slightly alone and are not acting in concert which seems like an appropriate time to bring in Ireland's Minister for European Affairs Thomas Byrne uh, Minister uh, I know you're, you're on your way to Britain for a British Irish Parliamentary Assembly so I know you're a busy man so um, I appreciate you talking to us this lunchtime um, first of all can you just bring us up to speed on the, the closure of um, Irish airspace to Russian aircraft and what exactly it means in practice well that will happen i mean that russian aircraft will not be allowed to fly uh, over irish airspace but i have to say in practical terms i think that's already starting to bite because of course airplanes and parts can't be exported to russia so an airplane going to russia um really can't go now uh, from from the european union britain or america or canada uh, at the moment because they can't bring parts in the plane with them to russia so already you've seen commercial airlines stop um, flights to Russia and I think that's going to continue because of the sanctions on Friday the the flight ban of course the over flight ban will, will hit them very hard as well so I think what you have really is more and more isolation of Russia in every aspect of uh, global life I think they're going to have a really hard time tomorrow in terms of their banks and how they keep, uh, I don't know how they'll prevent a run on their banks tomorrow uh, with the SWIFT Swift system sanctions, but also the Russian Central Bank sanctions coming into effect. These are really unprecedented. Friday's sanctions were unprecedented. We've gone even further since. Um, And the objective has to be uh, really to punish Russia, particularly Putin, but also to make sure the, the people of Russia know what's going on. Uh, they're, they're fed a diet of propaganda on state television there, mm. and it's very hard for real information to go out. And that's what you—that's what Ukraine doesn't want. They don't want the oppression. They want the democracy, free me- media, the ability to say what you like that we have in Western Europe. And they don't want the Russian yeah. uh, the Russian situation, so that's the clash here. Yeah, I, I want to come back to, to what you think Vladimir Putin's uh, end game or, or motivation behind all of this is, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. But you mentioned the the sanctions against uh, Russian banks and their expulsion from the SWIFT system, which was announced by Ursula von der Leyen in, in concert with other European leaders last night. Um, it doesn't apply to, to every bank, I don't think, and it doesn't appear to apply to Sparebank, which is the country's largest and indeed state-owned bank. And I wonder, I, I know you weren't directly party to those conversations, but why it is that some banks are being evicted from SWIFT and not others look the decision has been made i mean it's been made by 27 countries the eu america canada it's designed to hit putin where it'll hurt him the hardest um so there's there is a significant sanction on swift there's already sanctions on uh, lots of banks including some who operate in, in dublin and the ifsc 
um, and particularly the sanctions on the central bank. I mean, that's going to have a system-wide effect on the Russian economy. If there's, if your central bank can't operate in the normal way, then your banking system can't operate. And Putin, most importantly, can't use those dollar or euro reserves that he's built up because of the high price of gas uh, to continue funding the war. So I think that's one that's really going to bite. But Gavin, these things have been expanded and expanded since last Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and now last night. And who knows what else we can do. And I think that it is true. The entire world, certainly the entire free democratic world, has woken up to the reality uh, of what Putin has done, what he's been planning for some time. Uh, and we have to hit him as hard as possible while preventing the, I suppose, the ex- escalation of conflict uh, beyond Ukraine, which obviously has to be a priority as well. Yeah, when you say hitting him as hard as possible, th- there's an argument that that really maybe hasn't been done for the last couple of days because, of course, yes, you're pursuing more and more sanctions all the time. But if you leave open the scope for more sanctions further down the line, it means that you haven't gone as far as possible well, previously. Yeah, yeah, but, but but see, what's happened here is like you, you can't just go in on a Saturday night and draw up a list of sanctions. The sanctions that were passed on Friday, like it took a month's work between America and Europe to put that list together. It's so detailed to make sure it's exactly right, you get the right product, that there's no doubting what's sanctioned and what's not, not sanctioned. So there's been, it's incredible work that goes into drawing this up. It, like Democracy is the hard part. It's very easy sitting there on your own as Vladimir Putin is doing and making orders. But getting everyone together is complex. Getting the sanctions right is complex. And that's partially why there's been a graduated approach. And there's other ideas out there, such as sanctioning um, the use of Visa and MasterCard in Russia is another idea I've seen out there that you know we'd, we'd certainly be open to looking at. Um, I don't know if there's any scope for mobile phone roaming. Is that is that a factor? Is that an issue? There are lots of other ideas out there that are floating, but there's a lot of technical work that goes on uh, to put these in place, and, and, and that's what's been happening at, at rapid speed. Um, but it does take a little bit of time. Um, one of the other sanctions, which of course remains on the table, is the idea of recalling ambassadors from Russia and expelling Russian ambassadors from Ireland. Um, there are about now 40 members of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party who are in favour of that. There's also a whole line of opposition TDs who've been calling from that. What is your position on that? And um, What would be the merits for and against removing Yuri Filatov from Dublin? Well, I'm very proud of my, my Fianna Fáil colleagues who've consistently taken a very, very strong san- stance in support of democracy, support of Ukraine and against the autocracy in Russia over many, many years. This has been a big theme in the European Parliament and in the Dáil. It goes back to 2014 and before. Uh, so they're consistent with views they've held uh, for a long time. Mm. As regards the ambassador, right, I certainly don't want him in the country as a, from, from a personal point of view, and I agree with everybody. But um, Minister Coveney's government, we all have to look at this uh, in, a, in a slightly dispassionate way as well. First of all, we want to do this at a European level, that is a common approach that's far more effective, that everybody does the same thing. Uh, we also want to make sure that if there are that if we have problems with Irish citizens in Russia, that there is somebody there to help them. Um, because obviously if you expel diplomats here, then there's a tit for tat and Irish diplomats inevitably get expelled uh, on the other side. So this is this has been under discussion at European level. I've no doubt it will continue to be under discussion, but whatever happens, it will be a common European approach. What's the virtue of of a common European approach? I mean, you've already had some other countries like the Czech Republic, for example, withdrawing some of its staff, not necessarily the ambassadors, but withdrawing a lot of its people from Moscow. And I'm not sure why, although everyone likes the idea of of smaller countries acting in unity, if there's more that Ireland could do as a gesture that Ireland sees appropriate, why not Ireland do it? Well, see, the, the problem we have is, and small countries have, is our embassy is extremely small in Moscow extremely small and already the staff who are there overworked with consular issues dealing with problems from Irish people and uh, we've now obviously our diplomats thank God have left Ukraine safely and uh, we only had two there and um, they are now very, every country safely are they 
they are they, since since yesterday since okay. Friday morning they're out of the country safely. Yeah, um, the there there's a tiny embassy, and that's the difficulty. Countries like the Czech Republic and those who are in that former block as such tend to have much bigger presences. They're also nearer, so that that option isn't just as easy for us because we have to think of the citizens there. But make no mistake, I share the absolute disgust uh, at what the Russian ambassador has been saying uh, on Irish television, and again. This is the, what we have. We have a free media who can hold not just our government, but foreign governments to account in RTE and yourselves mm. and Virgin Media and Today FM and News Talk. Everybody has done that job here. That's what Ukraine wants. That's what we want them to achieve. And Russia doesn't want that. So it's always worth remembering that. If uh, the, this argument, though, about you, you need to keep uh, communications open, and that, that that's kind of fair enough to a point. But, but Leo Varanker was asked about this on Drive Time on RT on Friday, and he made the point that if you were to remove the ambassador, then all that would happen really in practice is that the duties are taken over by the charge d'affaires. It's not tantamount to, cutting, to closing off the embassy or, or stopping all no, well, diplomatic see, relations. So and again, it, it would be symbolism, but it doesn't close off the channels. No, and there's a, the, the other issue is in terms of of making a real impact is there's a lot of Russian diplomats in Dublin compared to what we have in compared to what we have in Moscow. Um, so I, I think this, this I absolutely understand the government understands the popular opinion on this, and we share it to a huge extent. But I think people will also understand that there are those other factors that we have to take into account. Primarily, the best interests of Irish citizens in Russia. Our diplomats in Moscow as well, a very small number there, um, and also to keep lines of communication open. That I think this there will be a decision taken in relation to this, I suspect, but I think it'll be taken uh, as part of a common Euro- European approach. That's certainly what we favour and what we understand uh, member states in general to be favouring. But look, the Minister Coveney is at the Foreign Affairs Council this evening. This could well be um, on the agenda this evening. It's an emergency meeting uh, and perhaps it'll be further developments. I don't know, but, but uh, this situation is developing all so, the time. So without making a prediction, that is something which could well be discovered by the foreign affairs ministers when they gather again in Brussels today? I'm not going to say it's happened today, no. But what I'm saying is that it has been under discussion and it will continue to be under discussion at the European level. And I think what's been really strong for us, what's been really strong for democracy and maybe unpredictable a few, a few months ago is the absolute European unity in relation to this. Um, I think is a really is really strong for everybody, and I think it's strong for Ukraine as well. What do you think is Vladimir Putin's end goal here? Because there were two ostensible explanations that he gave for his actions before he actually put boots on the ground. His argument was, uh, "We can't have Ukraine as a member of NATO because that undermines our own security." An excuse which maybe would hold some water were it not for the fact that Russia already borders five NATO members as it stands. Then on Thursday morning, when he announced that he was launching this uh, aggression towards Ukraine, it was because of this apparent genocide being conducted against Russian speakers in the east of the country, for which there was no evidence. So if the two excuses that he has given out loud are both easily undermined, then what do you think is his true goal? Well, the, obviously the genocide in, in, uh, that he's discussed is complete, and let's just be honest, complete bull. Um, the issue of NATO for him as well complete bull and I think those who parroted that over the last number of weeks need to reconsider what they were saying because that was given a lot of credence by people complete bull uh, nobody knows what's in Putin's mind he's a, a, a clearly a very very evil person um, and I think that all we have to do is stay united in defense of democracy um, and to ensure uh, that whatever we do um, gives him the toughest possible pain without escalating the conflict beyond Ukraine. We want to make sure that peace wins. I think that's what everybody wants. Nobody wants war. Uh, and we've got to do play our part uh, within the European Union with our partners in defence of that democracy that Ireland itself, as our ambassador at the UN, said, and she's doing a fantastic job, Geraldine Byrne and her team over there, but she said that Ireland fought for this right. We know what it's about. 
uh, and we need to make sure that it's protected uh, in the Ukraine. There's an argument that Vladimir Putin is particularly exercised about Ukraine, not alone because of its its historical and other social, economic business ties uh, to Russia, but also because if Ukraine is a country on Russia's doorstep, which is Western looking and which thrives with that outlook, that it then creates instability and people will wonder why Russia can't follow suit. Of course, and I think that's what people in Ukraine want. They want that West. Why do they want to look West? They want to look West because it's freedom, it's democracy, it's the prospects of the good life, social and economic progress. Russia has been deprived of that by Putin and various others before him. Um, and it's we've, we've got to make sure that we're clear uh, as to where we stand and we do everything possible to help. And that's why the government has already given 10, 10 million euro in humanitarian aid. Um, we have opened the doors to Ukrainian uh, citizens as well in terms of visa-free travel. Um, and we'll continue to help uh, Ukraine in whatever way we can. Um, I, I, I'm conscious that I'm sort of inviting you into the realm of speculation here, but you will have heard the reports in the last hour or so that Belarus now appears to be preparing some of its special operatives and could be participants in an air assault on Kiev. If Belarus was to become party to this invasion of Ukraine as well, would you be pushing for all of the same sanctions that currently apply to Russia to also apply to Belarus? Yeah, well, there's already significant sanctions on Belarus, of course, because of what Lukashenko has been doing uh, in Belarus over the last number of years. And they've clearly upped the ante there. It's not just today, actually. They've been doing it over the last number of of weeks uh, and months uh, where effectively Russia has come in with a huge amount of troops to Belarus and really shattered any um, vestige of sovereignty that Belarus had. So we're thinking of the people of Belarus today. They don't want this. Uh, there's a fake referendum taking place in Belarus today, organised by Lukashenko. And I think we need to keep reminding ourselves as well of Ireland's solidarity with Belarus. They don't want to be involved with this, but we must, I would certainly agree, we must continue to punish their government, that regime in Minsk, uh, to the greatest extent possible as well. They've been already subject to huge sanctions, and there's no doubt that that will continue. OK, we'll leave it there, um, Minister. I know you have other stuff to get to, so very much appreciate your time this lunchtime. That's Thomas Byrne, uh, the Junior Minister for European Affairs, Minister of State at the Department of Antishuk and the Department of Foreign Affairs joining us live this lunchtime on On the Record. Minister, thank you very much.